All right, I'm going to invite uh, Anna and Brady to join me up here. It is Anna's birthday. Let's go. She said, uh, I couldn't quite understand whether or not it would be appropriate. Let's just go ahead and sing happy birthday. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Anna. Happy birthday to you. 21, all right. This is how Christians celebrate their 21st birthday in worship to Jesus. Amen. Testify somebody. Okay. We are uh, in the series called Hyperlinked, where we're taking a very confusing, very ancient, very odd Old Testament at times, beautiful as well. We're taking that and we're looking at passages in the New Testament that Jesus fulfilled, messianic prophecies, where it takes the Old Testament and makes it just crystal clear. And a lot of passages where it's been kind of muddy for us for a long time. So I'm glad that you're here for tonight. Tonight we're going to be doing Linked to the Artist. If your life group was, some of your life groups were supposed to meet today, but they didn't because of this. But if your life group was to go through the same passages, so it'll be interesting to see your guys' uh, uh, conversations that come out of these um, passages. When I was a kid, I had a hard time paying attention to sermons. Anybody, amen. You're like, I'm already there, sir. Um, but oh, we had one hand. Hallelujah. I see that hand. Colton, thank you. Um, drummer always uh, causing trouble back there. But one of the things that I would do to pay attention to sermons, what do you guys do to pay attention in sermons? Uh, anybody? Doodle. Okay, doodle. Oh, there's a, that's a very good Jesus answer right there. Take notes. I do the same thing. It make, makes it look sometimes like I'm not paying attention. Uh, but uh, when, when, I, when I was a kid, my go-to thing was when the preacher was up there. My home church was so small, we had was a preacher. And when he was up there, I would just draw him as a kid. Not only would I draw him in detail, the podium and the, the pulpit and his, his, fa- you know, his facial expressions and whatever, then, as I was going through the receiving line at the little bitty church in Oklahoma, I give it to him almost every Sunday. Poor guy. Um, and then we got a new preacher, and he didn't really know that that was my thing, you know. And this guy had white, giant, thick white hair with a giant mustache. You could barely see his mouth move when he was preaching. Um, his name was Ken. He was the one that baptized me, actually, and I gave him tons of these drawings. And I did not treat Ken very well later in life because he was my dorm dad at church camp, and we would sneak out, and, and he would get mad. And, but I always, I was always think about, well, Ken ended up getting cancer, uh, brain cancer, ended up passing away a few years ago. And I got something in the mail from his wife, and uh, I'm 41 years old. I'm going to get emotional. Uh, when I was probably 10, I gave him that picture. He saved it all these years. And he, his wife mailed it back to me after he passed. He'd kept it. Can you believe that? My measly little artist drawing of uh, the big mustache. You know, I, I was really good at that. But I, I, was, I just wondered, like, with him, my little poor little excuse for creativity was something that he treasured and kept with him all those years. Why did he do that? He just feel bad about throwing it away. I have many things like that that I don't feel bad at all throwing away. You know, I'm like, that's very sweet that you gave that to me, but I'm not going to save it, you know. 
and but he saved it all those years. Uh, maybe, just maybe, this is just my mind's eye thinking about this guy, because he was a fantastic guy, loved Jesus. It reminded him to pray for a struggling high schooler that he saw me in the audience, and he knew that I was struggling with my faith. Maybe he then saw a Bible college student who was trying to resist the artist sculpting, try to go my own way, and it reminded him to pray for me. Maybe, maybe that's what it was. Maybe that it drew him back to that moment to pray for me. I'm glad that he kept it. It means a lot. I still have it. I do not know where it is. And I was about to drive my wife crazy trying to find it. I didn't find it. When I find it, I don't know what will happen. I'll scream. Yeah. And uh, I'm not very much good on social media. But all of this in this room, could we could just fill the next four hours. We don't have four hours of stories of how we've resisted the direction Jesus was leading us in. And these two right here and their stories are so good for tonight and, and this, this idea. But we've needed healing and restoration, but we've, we really aren't excited about the way God is moving, the direction he's moving us. I want restoration. I want healing, but I don't want to go that way. You guys been there? I want you to heal me. I want you to restore me, but don't go that way. God, let me show you how this is supposed to look in my life. Let me tell you about my will for my life. And we get real caught up in that. And this is what, isn't what it means to be a Christian. And I want to just quote right off the top, and Tiffany's doing an art piece about it. She didn't know I was going to use this verse. But this isn't what it means to be a Christian. This is what it means to be a Christian. Jeremiah 18.6 Behold, 2,600 years ago, Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand. So tonight, would you be willing to listen to what the artist Jesus is wanting to do in your life? Let's push out what your parents want for your life, what you want for your life, what your best friend wants for your life, what does God want for your life? So Anna's going to start us off with our passage in Mark chapter 7. When he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of Decapolis, and they brought him to a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers in his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. So, gross, right? <laughs> Nobody's thinking that? Okay. All right, Jesus is back in this place called the Decapolis, which is like 10 cities that were soaked in Greek culture, Hellenistic cities, southeast of the Sea of Galilee. We got a map. Adam Ola's got a map. Boom. See? The Decapolis. See, Galilee, that's where Jesus grew up in Nazareth. Not too far from Jesus. He spent a lot of time in the north, not a whole lot of as much time in the south where Jerusalem was, which is where he was supposed to be in the religious leader's eyes, spending most of his time. But he, in this Decapolis, the last time he was here, in Mark especially, he encountered a naked, demon-possessed man with extreme strength, like most people do on a Friday night. Okay, Jesus encountered this man with this extreme strength, naked, demon-possessed man. The healing of this man happened. The guy ended up being clothed, which is good, and in his right mind, which is also good. And that had everybody ready. So this guy, Jesus most of the time told people not to tell people don't say anything because but with that guy with the demon possessed man he just let him run wild 
and it ended up becoming such a phenomenon in this area, which was predominantly not Jewish, well, all these people were flocking. They were ready when Jesus came back. It was this really, really cool scene. So these friends that had this friend who could not speak well and could not hear, they knew right where to take this guy. And so these people knew that Jesus could heal, and they thought he would just lay his hands on him, and all would be well. Jesus, he just doesn't do it the way that they expected him to do it. Come on, somebody. He didn't do it the way that he expected him to do it. Isn't that how it works? He didn't do it the way he expected. Jesus didn't do what they expected. He instead, you know, in the life group material, Alex is going to explain it all. I mean, it's hilarious what Alex puts in there. I'm getting your attention for the life group lesson. Uh, he does not do a wet willy. He just does his fingers in his ears without any saliva, then saves the saliva for the tongue of the man. So ears, spit, touching the tongue. I was even having a hard time touching my own tongue, wondering where my hands have been, right? I just like grabbed the dog and now I'm going to touch my tongue or whatever. It just, it's gross. It's kind of gross to think about touching your tongue, right? Um, you should try it right now and you probably you shouldn't do that. That's disease in your mouth. But, and then he touches his tongue and then Jesus, and he's healed. No. Jesus, like, lets out this guttural sigh. Everybody do that with me. Just give me a sigh. You know you feel it today. Chem 105, Calculus 1, med, you're done with med surge. Critical care. Critical care. What's causing you? Let's do it together. On a count of three, let's sigh together. One, two, three. Oh, it feels so good. And it's like Jesus sighs. He sighs like this. He lets out this big sigh. And then he says, Ephatha, uh, which means be opened. So why, and that's an that's a Aramaic word, uh, and the Bible translators are trying to help us out because Jesus doesn't use, in the, Mark is, is writing in Greek. He stops writing in Greek to write in Aramaic. Why does he stop writing in Greek to write in Aramaic? Because that's the language that they would speak in. This was the language that this man would have should have been hearing his entire life, and Jesus says, Ephatha. And, he, and it's just like, it's just this really, really cool moment in the text. And so why all the dramatics? Why does he do the, the ears, the fingers in the ears, and the spitting and the tongue? It just, it seems bizarre to us, doesn't it? Why would Jesus do this? And I love this quote. I'm going to quote this, this commentator twice because he's just, he's spot on. All the actions of the verses of verses 33 and 34 were miming the man's present need, the process of healing, and the source from which the healing alone could come, in a way, in a way which even a deaf mute could understand. The blocked ears opened, the symbolic removal of the speech impediment from the tongue by spitting, the upward glance and sigh of prayer. Isn't that it? Couldn't say that better, so I just quoted it instead of being plagiarist. But this is the epitome of incarnation, isn't it? Jesus doesn't say, hey, be healed, you know. Be on your way. Another, another one to notch on my healing belt of the people that I've healed and those that I've touched. No, he, Jesus gets involved. He sticks his fingers in his ears. He meets him right where he's at in his weakness. Right where he's at in his weakness. And I think... Um, how many of you have needed the creativity of Jesus to burst out in your life and didn't happen, uh, and didn't happen like you wanted it to? 
what is currently, I was thinking about this for my, myself, what is currently stuck in your life? It's like this gear that just keeps clicking. I just had to replace my battery yesterday because it wouldn't start, barely start, you know. But what's stuck like that in your life? What's just stuck? It's just not working. Um, I think that's when we need to hear Jesus. We need to see Jesus sigh, take a big sigh, because that makes me feel better if Jesus sighs, right? He's perfect. He's the Son of God. He's the Messiah. He's God in flesh, and he's sighing. That makes me feel better. Doesn't it make you feel better to know that Jesus sighed? And then he says, Ephatha. He says, be opened. I need, we need to hear Jesus say that tonight, that Jesus is rarely creative in a way that you expect him to be. And Brady's going to share his story. Hi, everyone. My name's Brady. Uh, to start, uh, I had a conversation with my pastor a few weeks ago, and just I was running all of this by him and just how I came to Christ and the transformation that he's made in my life. And the first comment he had was, wow, you were so patient with him. And I just, I just thought about that, and I was like, I don't think I was. I think he, he was patient with me, like, the entire time. Like, he was just knocking at my door when I didn't even realize it. So I'm a sophomore uh, at the Kelly School of Business, and last year I came into college immediately wanting to get involved with the social aspect of being here at IUPUI. So first thing I did is I joined a fraternity. And it was really good. I got to meet a lot of new people. Um, one, that would end up changing my life uh, at first. And then I found myself turning into a people pleaser very fastly. I was not a Christian at that time. I wasn't. I didn't grow up in a Christian-oriented household. Um, I had friends that were asking me to come to youth group, but I never really found the fulfillment to go to it. Um, then throughout the semester, I just found myself falling deeper and deeper into just trying to please the people around me, falling into sin, giving into temptations without even blinking an eye. And then it came around December, where I just felt such a void, such an emptiness that I'd never really acknowledged in my life. I was always the kind of the person that would hold his emotions in, saw emotion as vulnerability rather than a strength. And there was just constant feelings of emptiness, envy, and disconnection from the life that I wanted to live. So in January, came around, and it was a new semester. I knew I wanted to change, but I didn't know what it was. And then I started hanging around uh, three very special people that are right here tonight. And they changed my life. They brought me to understand who Christ was, to understand the change that he could make in my life without even realizing it. And it wasn't until my, uh, my best friend's birthday on February 12th where we were all at church. I wasn't really a church-oriented guy, but I went to church because it was my best friend. It was his birthday. I was going to go with him. So we were finishing up worship, and I just remember looking down at the aisle, seeing those three people, and just feeling his hand on my shoulder. I'd never felt that before. 
I was scared, didn't acknowledge it because I thought, again, emotion is a vulnerability. And it wasn't until like really getting to know these people and how strong they are, how passionate they are for the Lord, and how much they love one another, it just really showed me how much more is in this world if you just look to God. It's just, a lot of people see it as easier said than done. They say, oh, I've done so much wrong in my life. How can he forgive me? It's already forgiven. It's, it's been forgiven. He's been knocking at your door, wanting you to invite him in. Because he knows change is coming. He knows what you're going to do. He knows what you're going to say. And he knows that we all want that change in our life. When Andrew approached me with this topic of the artist and God being an artist in our life, I didn't really see much into it until I really thought about what it means to me. And it's just, it's amazing when you think about what is an artist? An artist is patient. An artist is passionate. And an artist wants everyone to acknowledge that not one piece defines them, but multiple pieces define who they are as an artist. We are those pieces of art. He works in our lives. He leaves his fingerprints all over each and every one of our stories. And I've been told by a lot of people when they ask me about my transformation, like where I came from and how I came to Christ, they tell me, like, so it's only been seven months since you came to understand who Christ was? I was like, yeah, yeah, he, he works pretty fast. You have to, you actually get down to it. And I was having a conversation uh, with my best friend a few weeks ago talking about the changes that God has made in our lives and how it's impacted those around us. And it was just crazy to think. I went from living my life thinking how to better myself and how to build a self-built life, future of money and self-reliance and going to sin-filled parties on Saturday nights. And now I spend my Saturday nights getting ready for church the next morning, reading Bible verses and just talking about how amazing God is. And I think each and every one of us, whether we feel content with our relationship with God, we just need a really deep dive into what has brought it to that point. And we can all be content, but there's always more. There's always more to look into. It's just, he, he turned my life inside out. It's complete 360. And uh, two weeks ago, on uh, August 27th, I was, I was honored to be baptized um, by my brother, Tanner, who was instrumental in showing me who Christ was. And it, it was, again, God's timing was, it was working that weekend because I got baptized on that Sunday, and then the next day I gave the eulogy at my great-grandma's funeral. And if there is ever a testament to God's timing is perfect, that is the example I'm always going to give. Being able to stand up there and speak in front of family members that don't know about this change in my life, that don't know what Christ has done for me, 
it sparked an interest that I never expected. I've had family members coming up to me asking, what do I do? I want a piece of that. Like my grandpa, he's 72 years old. And the next day, he asks, I want a piece of that. How do I get started? And it's just, I think we all look at our personal relationships with God. And we don't actually realize the impact it's made on those around us. And they don't see the amazing artistry that God has on our lives. Yes, sir. All right, so that could not have been better for the first part of our passage, Brady. Let's read the, the response to the healing here, verses 36 and 37. And Jesus charged them to tell no one, but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. So after Jesus heals this man, restoring his hearing, and he ha the Greek there is not just, he wasn't just mute, he had trouble speaking. He had some kind of impediment with his speech. And the directions were for them to say nothing about it. And Jesus, I, you may wonder why Jesus does that over and over, where he discourages people from testifying about the healing that God had put in their life. Jesus was not there to become a political messiah who was going to take down Rome. He was there to die for the sin of all humanity. Amen? And he was not there to, for them to make him king. They tried that a few times. He was not there for that to happen. He was there on earth to die for the sins of all mankind. And, but they couldn't keep silent. I mean, the ESV says that they were zealously doing this, and it could be translated as emphatic or beyond what is normally appropriate. They were gushing with praise. And Mark writes that these people were so amazed, there was no, no way to quantify it. And this man, Jesus, he's just not like anyone we've ever met, and we cannot stop praising. No one's going to shut us up. Then, out of nowhere, they just start bursting out messianic prophecy like you do, right? Not only one messianic prophecy from this group that's praising as a result of this healing of this man with a speech impediment and cannot hear, they do too, so much so that we're going to look at uh, the first Messianic prophecy this week, and then next week in your life groups, you look at the second one. So when Jesus gets creative, it always elicits a response. The big question on this one is, how will you respond to Jesus tonight? Has your praise dried up because of disappointment? I know I've had my praise dry, dry up because of dis disappointment. I don't feel like praising. I don't want to praise God. You ever done that church? Kept your mouth shut? And um, we just got, we have got to let that loose. We've got to let it loose. And we've got to, we've got to just praise. We've got to get it out. We serve a praiseworthy artist who has been vying for your attention since day one of your life and since day one of creation. We'll get to that in a second. Anna's going to share her story. Hello, my name is Anna. Um, I definitely can attest to God definitely trying to get my attention. Um, and I really noticed this a lot last year. Um, I really like to have control. Anyone else out there like to know what's going on, what your life is going to look like, what career you're going to have, who you're going to marry? 
I know that some of those hit with some people. Um, well, I kept finding myself in these patterns of dating that were unfulfilling and really the reason it was unfulfilling was because I did not let God fill me first. Um, I like to have control and I've found through this experience that most often the thing that we like to have the most control over is probably your idol that you are trying to keep hidden from God. Because if God decides to change something in that thing, we no longer have control over it and we can feel at a loss. So about a year ago, I decided to open the door and invite God into an area I was scared for him to take charge in, relationships. I thought if I didn't talk to him about it at all, then he couldn't give me an answer that I didn't want. Anybody else ever feel that way? Yes. So God works a little bit differently. And all this time that I was pushing him away from an area of my life, he was trying to shape my life and mold it for the better. He wanted to show me that I could find complete joy in him and who he was without another person. So after feeling conviction, I chose to not date for a year, but I wanted to be really intentional with this time. I wanted to focus on my girlfriendships after having years of girlfriendship hurt. I know there are some of us out there that didn't feel like we had a best friend for a really long time. I know I prayed 18 years for mine, and she is the sweetest soul, and unfortunately she could not make it here tonight, but I also thought a comfort to me in that time was if I prayed and waited 18 years for this wonderful woman in my life who has been such an encouragement, then it's going to be worth so much more whatever time God takes to bring a spouse in my life anyway. So I focused on my girlfriendships and pressing into my relationship with God. This also meant that I began to pray about my future relationship and trust in God's plan and timing. So now I'm learning to submit to his will for my life by laying it all before him, the frustration as well as the good desires, all of it. Surrendering my life to the potter's hands to shape me into who he has called me to be regardless of my relationship status. Since then, I have found joy and satisfaction in a way I have never felt it before. I am filled with the God who created me and the one who has designed me to be in perfect relationship with him. And that's all I need. There are still times that are frustrating. There are times of confusion. There's times where I feel lost. But I know that no matter what, I'm complete in him. When I let him take the reins in my life, I can have peace, because he's the one with the plan, and he's the one with the perfect plan. So what does this mean to be linked to the artist? It means to allow the Holy Spirit to work inside you to begin to change you from the inside out. When you abide and are steadfast, you are perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That is a promise James tells us. So I would challenge you, Invite God into the area of your life you are scared for him to take control over because you don't know what he might be wanting to do with that space. How are you going to be healed if you keep trying to keep him out of that part of your life? God can't open your ears and you can't listen to what he's trying to teach you if you are unwilling to go to him in the first place. 
I wrote out a prayer that I've been repeating and meditating for myself, but I think the last part's applicable to many. I am willing to wait for those things and trust God's timing to bring it about, to rest in the promise of who he is and the plans he has for me, which are far better than my own ideas, surrendering my plans to him and my desires so that my desires begin to more closely align with his will and I am completely satisfied in him. Wow. Okay, now we're going to link it to the Old Testament. Let's do this. So Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, you get confused when you read one and, uh, right after the other, don't you? Because you're like, wait, are we going back? What's happening? Is this a different time? And so we're going to read it in what I believe. Uh, you can disagree with me later, but in chronological order. So we're going to do three verses. Uh, Brady's going to read one, then Anna, and then Brady again. So this is Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. So God created man and in his... Am I reading the right part? 120, yeah. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Okay, we have an unexpected artist, and we have, he is praiseworthy. Jesus just does, he doesn't show off just to show off. He's constantly, the heavens are telling of the glory of God. He does not need a miracle to show us that he loves us. He's already proclaiming that. Jesus, every single one of his miracles was purposeful. And this one is even immensely more because of what's happening here with the crowd. And so, does God sing? What do you think? Does God sing? He created you in his image, and you like to sing. I, I, I've seen you singing that country song in the dirt or whatever, uh, or some other song. Uh, somebody's like, oh, how do you know that? You're like, I hate country. Um, but does God sing? Is our creator like one of those guys that sings while he makes pancakes on a sat Saturday morning, like me? Uh, what did God, um, what God did in six days of creation is much more impressive than my pancakes. But I, I do believe that God does sing. I believe God sings. Because the Bible uh, says that he sings, as Zephaniah 3.17 declares that God will exult over us with not just singing, but loud singing, shouts of joy. Isn't that cool to think about? God singing over you with shouts of joy? We need to do a whole sermon about that. Job 38, 6 and 7 shows us that during creation, when God said, let there be light, and he brought everything into existence, the angels broke forth into praise and started singing. Isn't that a wild thing to think about? Alex points out in our life group material that in Genesis 1, many theologians have called that the song of creation. So how do they get there? It is because of this phrase, he saw that it was good. All the redundancy that you read in the Bible and you're thinking, why is this? This is so redundant. That is a refrain. That is to get your attention. That is mute. You can gotta, gotta hear the music behind it. You gotta hear it. Um, he saw that it was good. Still, on the sixth day, the song kind of changes a little bit, and God makes a statement. After creating all the animals, then Adam and Eve, 
he declared it to be tov meod, which is very good. The move to create us was God's statement to claim and include us for his purposes. It was his statement moment. I'm not going to let these people just wander around with no purpose in life. I'm not going to make them think that it's not worth getting up and going to class for today. I'm going to give them a reason to live and to breathe and to have their being, right? And all that is in him. So how in Mar- is Mark, you may be thinking this, how is Mark 737? Maybe Alex got it wrong when he put this together. How is Mark 737, a hyperlink back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 31? He, uh, he saw that it was very good, tov meod. How is that tying back to he does all things well? It really go- comes to uh, ka- kalos, which is, uh, is this Greek word. Uh, it is the, he does all things well, kalos. Now, they translated the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, into Greek before Jesus was born. So the Christians didn't have anything to do with that. But the Christians adopted the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, as their own. And so then it got explicit. You know, this is exactly the same word. He saw that it was very, declared it to be very kalos. Very good. Same word. And, the, and then here's this next quote. The parallelism between the words of the crowd and Genesis 1.31 may have been unnoticed by the original speakers, but can hardly have escaped unseen by the early church. All God's creative works are perfect, and so is the manifestation of his son's power. Jesus' creativity will always confirm the crescendo in his song of creation. What is the definition of a crescendo? I'm, gonna, I'm looking at my, some of my musicians. I looked it up. I don't know if this is right, but it's, it's a definition. The loudest point reached in a gradually increasing sound. Think about creation that way. Think of a song gradually increasing in dynamics as it goes and goes and goes, and it's tov meod, it's, it's kalos. It is very good. It is very good. So tonight, let's plug this in. Number one, first thing we got to do is recognize and surrender to the artist. You will not give the artist tips on how to lead your life. He created you. He formed you. He loves you. He initiated this whole situation. You did not. I did not. So the best thing we can do is recognize that and surrender to the artist. Let Jesus do what he's been wanting to do in your entire life the whole time. And I think both of their stories are so great tying back into this. Life will not happen the way that you think that it will happen. You think if this turn happened here and that turn happened there, and I just got what I wanted here and I got enough money and I got enough relationships, everything will kind of come together. No, it won't. You got to put Jesus first. You got to surrender. Jesus knows and he can prepare us for the unexpected, not the other way around. Number two, Praise more than you do. It is time for us to start praising more. Don't let disappointment stunt your praising. Uh, you won't be gushing messianic prophecy. Maybe, maybe you uh, will be quoting messianic prophecy from the Old Testament. I don't know. But, um, but you do have a song that needs to be sung. Number three, last, receive the confirmation. Know that Jesus didn't make a mistake when he created you. Greatest work 
Um, I'm looking at my greatest hits of these six days. This is it. I'm putting my image. My, and Alex says it this way. I put my signature on them. Isn't that cool? God signed you. Uh, think how valuable you are. You have God's signature on you. God's singing voice over you is proof. Angels too. So what would it be like if we really started uh, to submit our lives to the work of the artist? Really believe this. More freedom. Less confusion. More joy. Less worry. All of that is available to us. But we have to accept Jesus as our Lord and our Savior. Jesus knows what he's doing. One of the reasons we know that Jesus knows what he's doing is because of his history. Uh, he has a great history, and we know that he has a great future for us as well. So I'm going to invite the worship team up. We're going to sing one more song. Let's stand together. And as, as the worship team comes up, Anna's actually going to read a poem that she wrote, and she's going to share it with us as we head into this last song. Thank you. So I wrote this poem over the summer. Um, I've been reading a lot about lamentations as well and how we cry out to God. And um, I was thinking of this poem as Andrew and Brady and I were talking, so I decided to share it with them, and they told me I needed to share it tonight. What does it mean to wait on the Lord? What does it mean to wrestle with your purpose? I turn to him who formed me from the dust. If I am yours, why do I feel broken? You say that you are just, so why must I endure moments of pain so great yet unspoken? Do you notice the heartbreak and the pain I feel? And yet, you are not intimidated by my questions. You are not offended by my doubts or my appeal. When I think I need an answer, you offer a simple solution, but it's not the one I expected to hear. You remind me that you are, I am, and that I no longer must strive. You remind me that you formed me with your own hands, that you have a vision for my life and a plan for me to thrive, and that what I want and desire is not within my demands. I am chosen by you, a child of God, born with boldness and fully alive, because only by your grace and love can I be set free. Yet I am tempted to run and still have moments where my faith dives. And that's when you say, run to me, with a voice bold enough to calm the seas. That is what it means to wait on the Lord. The knowledge of your character is the only thing that brings me peace, even in the midst of the storms or the threatening beast.